Okay, you can turn in your Bible to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. If the Lord doesn't help, we can't understand anything in this, this passage. And even if we do understand a few things, it's just facts. It doesn't reach down into our heart and grip us. So we need the Lord's help. So let's ask Him for that. Father, thank you so much for bringing us to this moment together as a church where we can open up your word and ask you that you would address us. Lord, please do that. God, please address us through your word. God, help us to come right now humbly, bow down. You are the king of glory. The riches of your salvation, the riches in your word are unsearchable, Lord. So we come, we come not just bowing, Lord, but we come hungry. Help us to come hungry right now. Your words were found and we ate them. And they became the joy and rejoicing of our hearts. God, I pray that that scripture would be true in us. Help us to be hungry and eat your word right now. And let it be the joy and rejoicing of our hearts. Lord, we open ourselves up to whatever, whatever it is that you want to do in our hearts. God, if we need correction and rebuking, God, please give us that, Lord. God, where we need encouragement, comfort, God, I pray that you would give that. Where we need help, God, where we need wisdom, God, all these things, Lord, we just confess that apart from you, we can know nothing, and apart from you, we can do nothing. So, God, we need you. We need you, Lord, and we need you in this moment. Holy Spirit, please speak through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I know we've been in Genesis and we typically go verse by verse through books of the Bible, but I'm actually bringing to you this morning a New Year's sermon. And I know some of you may not even like New Year's. Um, and you say that holiday is not even in the Bible. Uh, so I want to take just a second to maybe give a defense of New Year. So just, this is my defense. <laughs> of the new year. I want to give you a creation defense and, uh, and a personal sanctification defense real quick of the new year before we get to our passage. So creation defense. New Year's, I believe, is a glorious reminder to us that we serve a creator God, a God that created all things. Think about the time markers that we have. Days and weeks and years, these time markers are not from man. It's not our idea. These time, time markers are the idea of God. He came up with days and weeks and years in these time markers. You can go read Genesis chapter 1, verse 14 through 16. And it says that God put the sun and the moon and all the stars. He put them in the sky. 
Why? It says for, for signs and seasons and days and years. But God put the sun, the moon, and the stars there to be time markers for us. So where does the day, this time marker of a day, where does that come from? Well, we live on a massive rock. And this massive rock is just kind of floating or levitating off in space somewhere. Okay? And it's spinning. It's just spinning around. It's at the perfect distance from the sun. If we get too close, we get burned and we die. We're too far away, we freeze and we die. That, that massive rock is just sitting in the perfect place and it's spinning at a thousand miles an hour. Can you compute that? Not a hundred miles an hour, but a thousand miles an hour. And, and, and it's so massive that it takes about 24 hours to get all the way around. And when it gets all the way around, it completely rotates. We have this time marker called a day. God designed that. Now, what about this time marker? Of a year. This is the new year. So, what about this time marker of the year? The year is God's idea, not our idea. We didn't come up with it. We didn't uh, think, man, we need to start a calendar, this thing called a calendar, and we'll pick about this much time, we'll call it a year. The year is God's idea. Think about it. This massive spinning rock that we live on, it contains about 7 billion people. Uh, uh, seven billion people just suspended in space, this massive spinning rock. It's not only spinning, but it's also revolving around the sun. So it's just spinning and then moving, revolving around the sun. And it takes a year to get all the way around. Is that because the earth is moving so slow in its in its revolution, is it moving so slow that's why it takes so long to get around? No, it's actually moving at, can you compute this, 67,000 miles per hour. So, imagine this, spinning at 1,000 miles per hour, uh, uh, soaring through uh, the sky at 67,000 miles, miles per hour. Uh, I heard one guy say Mach 86, if that means anything to you jet pilots. Faster, way faster than the speed of sound. And, and yet the sun is so massive that it takes a year for this 67,000 miles per hour massive spinning rock to make it all the way around the sun. But when it does, this is how God, he creates the moon and the star, the sun and the stars for days and years. So we have our year. So I want you to think about that for just a minute. When, when humans want to have time markers... We want to keep track of time. We do a bunch of cute little things, right? We do cute little things like uh, we bind paper together in this little binder, and, and we put little boxes there, and we, we kind of mark off our days and our times. Isn't that cute? Okay. Or we take these calendars, and we discover the magnet, whoa, at some point, and we put it on our fridge, and we've got this, you know, we've got the months up there, the days, and the year, and we do these cute little things to mark off time. But God... Think about it. When God wants to mark off days and seasons and years, he says this. I'll place these people on this massive spinning rock at a thousand miles per hour. I'll fling it like a jet speed yo-yo around a massive ball of dangerous fire. And when he gets all the way around, that'll be a year. Isn't that amazing? And then we celebrate it by buying a calendar or joining a gym for a month. 
or popping firecrackers. We mesmerize our kids by popping firecrackers. Isn't that ironic that our kids are mesmerized with this, this uh, flaming firecracker going off in the sky? And they're mesmerized by that as we celebrate this massive rock with 7 billion people flying around the biggest uh, burst of fire we can imagine the sun. It's, it's, it's just going around us, and, and we celebrate by being mesmerized at firecrackers. I might cancel fireworks this year. We're just gonna, I'm just going to wake them up early January 1st and let them see the sunrise. I commend that to you. And so here we are flying around the sun, and yet we're not slung off this earth. In fact, we don't even know we're moving. It's a year. So that's my creation defense of this year, uh, this year timeline. Let me give a personal sanctification defense. So part of our sanctification or our growing in the image of Christ, part of that process of our sanctification is reflecting and resolving. Reflecting and resolving. We reflect on where we've been, what God has done. Uh, our, our own hearts, our own attitudes, our own actions, we reflect on those things. We see that, for example, in Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, search me, O God, search me, O God, know my heart, try me, know my anxiety, see if there's any wicked way in me, lead me in the way everlasting. This is self-examination, self-reflection, and then also by resolving or resolutions like uh, Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, it says, Ezra set his heart, he resolved, he didn't let his heart boss him around, but he set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. So our sanctification is connected to reflecting and resolving. And the new year is a good time to reflect and resolve. Psalm 90, verse 12 says, teach us to number our days. Think about that. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You don't, you're not numbering your days. You're not to know, number your days. Foolish. But teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Think about it. How many trips? Here we come on a new year. How many trips have you made it around the sun thus far? How many trips have you made? I've got about 35. 35 trips around the sun. And here's, here's the more sobering question. How many trips around the sun do you have left? You're halfway done, as best you can understand. Maybe you won't get one more. But how many trips around the sun do you have left? You reflect on 2019 and you resolve towards 2020. Use this year time marker for the glory of Christ. And so what I want to do is we think about resolutions or resolving for 2020. I want to give some guidance there. By giving you five resolutions, five resolutions to consider. Now, all five of these resolutions are going to have the language of killing something, killing something. Now, I'm not just trying to be hardcore by having five resolutions that tell you to go kill something, okay? I'm not trying to be hardcore. This is Colossians 3, 5, where in Colossians 3, 5, it says, put to death that which is earthly in you. Kill it. Murder it. Put to death that which is earthly in you. So I'm just picking up that same language in these five resolutions. And every one of these resolutions is flowing out of James chapter 4, verse 13 through 17. So if you're not already there, already there turn to James 4, and we're going to read together our text, verse 13 
through 17. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So this is our text. We've got... James, in verse 13, calls in his audience. He tells you who he's speaking to. He says, come, you, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a town, spend a year there, trade, and make a profit. That's, the, that's his audience he's speaking to. And he gives them a rebuke in verse 14. And that rebuke in verse 14, he says, yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What's your life? Your life is a mist. You're a mist that appears for a short time, and then it vanishes. Vanishes. Then he gives a correction in verse 15. Instead, here's what you ought to say. If the Lord wills, we'll live and do this or that. Then he intensifies the rebuke and he says, as it is now, as it is right now, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. Then he gives another correction or an application at the end by saying, so whoever... So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, to him, that is sin. So based off this passage, let me give you five resolutions for this new year. Number one, resolve to kill all pride. Brothers and sisters, please, let's resolve together to kill all pride. What is pride? There's different scripture phrases that can help you understand what pride is. For example, there's, a, there's a, a place in the scripture where he says someone thinks more highly of himself than he ought to think. Think about that phrase. You think, you think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. It's not telling you to belittle yourself. It's just saying you just need to think rightly about yourself. You think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. God is omniscient, omnipotent, glorious God. And you are tiny. You know nothing without him. You can do nothing without him. Just think rightly about yourself. Pride is to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Or another phrase, this is what Samuel said to King Saul, if you remember. Because King Saul was humble and he became prideful. And this is the phrase, it says, when you were little in your own eyes. That helps us understand pride. When you were little. So you used to be little in your own eyes. Now you seem like you're pretty important in your own eyes. Pride. It's the opposite of humility. Heard someone describe humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's just thinking less of yourself. Just thinking of yourself less. Excuse me. Not thinking less of yourself, like you're belittling yourself, but just thinking of yourself less. Just don't even think about yourself. Pride is self-absorption. 
Humility is self-forgetfulness. Pride. You think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. And I want to call us to resolve to kill all pride. Pride is the major issue in this passage. Now we see it really clearly if you look at verse 16, right? As it is, now he's referring to that audience that he pulled in in verse 13. He pulled them in, I'm talking to you that say things like this, and I'm correcting you in how you ought to speak, but here's how it is. When you talk like that and feel like that and act like that, here's, here's the baseline. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. And all such boasting is evil. And this fits with the context. So, so you've got this passage we're in, but the context all around here is about this. Look at chapter 4, verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Look at verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Don't be arrogant. Don't be proudful. Humble yourselves. In our passage, you're boasting in your arrogance. And you get into chapter 5. It's speaking about those rich people that are defaming others and living it up in their luxury, dealing with their pride. So what we have here is a focus in this passage and context around James on the sin of pride. Now, pride, brothers and sisters, pride is a root sin. Pride is a root sin. Sin. Have you ever heard this distinction of root sins versus fruit sins? Root sins versus fruit sins. Now, here's, here, let me try to explain that. All sin should be killed. We ought to attack and kill and lay aside every single sin. That we, would go, we would fight sin, all sin, with all our hearts. But there are some sins that are root sins. That they're like... Sin feeders, it's like they're at the root and all these other sins coming out can be traced back to these root sins that are at the very bottom that are producing these other things. They're root sins. Pride is one of these. It's a root sin. Take the sin of prayerlessness, for example. You know, Samuel said, far be it from me to sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Prayerlessness is a sin. Now imagine that sin. How, I don't want to be prayerless anymore. How do you get to the root of it? What's your issue? In your prayerlessness, some of your issue might be a lack of discipline for sure. But what's at the bottom? Let's go deeper. What's there? It's pride. You think you're fine without him. You're prayerless. We're prayerless because we don't think we need God. We don't believe that truth that says apart from him, you can do nothing. We think we can do things apart from him. So we don't pray. It's arrogance. It's pride. It's at the bottom. It's, it's a root sin. Jonathan Edwards said it like this. Pride was the first sin committed, lies lowest in the foundation of Satan's building, and is with the greatest difficulty rooted out. So again, all sins should be killed. All sins should be killed. But what I think we see too often is Christians spending so much energy cutting off the branches, so much energy just cutting off the fruit sins, never getting down into the roots, and the way that ends with them is deep frustration. Deep frustration. Can you imagine a gardener doing that? That there's this certain plant that the gardener does not want in his garden. 
And he's frustrated because year after year after year, the plant keeps coming back and the gardener is so frustrated. And you say, I'm going to go see what he's doing. And you go and you check it out and what do you see him doing? He's just cutting off the branches. He never digs down deep and gets to the root and uproots it from there and rids himself of this plant. And he's frustrated. I want us to realize that if we, if we go after this resolution to kill all pride, resolve to kill all pride, that is going to have a massive, massive impact on our lives. Because this root sin affects so many, more, so many other things. I'll give you an example. What, what is the, so often, what are, what are so-called New Year's sermons, what are, what are they about so often? Maybe they're about, you know, renewing your commitment to daily reading the Bible. And I think that's good. And we have done that, and we may do that again in the future. But just imagine that. What's the difference of what I'm doing right now? I'm not giving you a teaching from God's Word about, hey, renew this commitment to read the Bible every day. But here's the thing. I'm talking to you about pride. And if you go after killing pride in your life, what is it that causes you to neglect God's Word? Why do you neglect God's Word? Because of pride. You don't think you need it. You think you're fine without the nourishment of God's word. You think you've got wisdom. You don't need his. So we get down into the roots. And when we do, this is going to have a massive, massive impact. Resolving to constantly hunt down and kill pride in our lives. Chapter 4, verse 6, again. It says, God opposes the proud. If you need some motivation, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Prideful men and women stand in opposition to God. Now, this resolution, this first resolution, resolve to kill all pride, is a major undertaking, right? It can seem, can seem almost overwhelming. So here's what you need to know. And you've got to grasp this. The connection of the gospel to this first resolution. You have got to grasp the connection of the gospel to this resolution to kill all pride. Because if you don't, this whole sermon will overwhelm you today. All of it will overwhelm you. So what is the connection of the gospel to this first resolution? Listen to me. The gospel truly believed, the gospel when it's truly believed, breaks the penalty and the power of sin. The gospel truly believed breaks the penalty and the power of sin. What do you mean it breaks the penalty of sin? Romans chapter 5 says, saved from the wrath of God. That Jesus went to the cross and he died and he took our penalty. That at the cross he took our suffering, he took our penalty, he took our wrath. He took our punishment at the cross. It's what he did so that it's done with. No more wrath to be meted out to you because Christ died in your place. The gospel deals with the punishment or the penalty of sin. But not only that, the gospel also, not only the penalty, but also breaks the power of sin in your life. So, so Romans 5, the penalty, Romans chapter 6 the gospel breaks the power of sin in your life. Romans 6 says things like this. Sin shall no more have dominion over you because you're not under the law but under grace. 
It says things like this, that you are no longer enslaved to sin. You were enslaved to it. It had a power in your life, but Jesus broke it at the cross. Your gospel is so powerful. The gospel you believe, the Christ in him you believe, he's so powerful that not only does he save you from the wrath to come and that penalty, but he saves you from the power of sin now. And so the penalty of your pride Cast forever in hell in the lake of fire. It's been dealt with on Christ. The power of pride has been snapped over Jesus' knee. So we can take this resolution, brothers and sisters, resolve to kill all pride. Second resolution. Resolve to kill the pride of presumption. I want to call us to Resolve to kill the pride of presumption. Now what we're doing is we're getting a little more narrow. We're getting more specific. Not just pride in general, but this specific form of pride that we see in our passage today that we'll call presumption. Now what is presumption? Uh, let's use a verse to help us. Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 20. It speaks about a prophet. If a prophet presumes to speak a word in my name, that I've not commanded him to speak, that prophet shall die. So what is presuming? What is presumption there? This a prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I've not commanded him to speak. This presumption is to go out ahead of God and speak for him before he has spoken. It's to go out ahead of God and do something in front of him when he ought to be ahead. Now how does that pull into our passage? This passage, James 4, is this what it shows us is this prideful attitude of going out in front of God, claiming to know things you don't know. You don't know what tomorrow brings. Don't act like it. Don't talk like it. Don't feel like it. You don't know what tomorrow brings. What's your life? It's a vapor. appears for a short time and vanishes. Presumption is to go out ahead of God as if you do know, as if you, you, you sit on the throne of the universe. It's presumption. Now, verse 13 shows us that. Come now. Listen to this presumption. Come now. You who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Well, that doesn't seem like too big of a deal, does it? Just, just saying, hey, today or tomorrow we're going to go to such and such city, spend a year there. Buy and sell and make a profit. I'm going to work on my business there. That doesn't sound like too big of a deal. Why is that? Could it be that that's not a big deal to us because this sin of presumption has been normalized? Do you know that one of Satan's tactics in this world is to normalize sin in front of our face? In our family, we've been talking about that a lot lately with uh, with homosexuality, the sin of homosexuality. That the culture is trying to just put it before us and put it before the eyes of our kids. It's, it's normal, it's normal, it's normal. Nothing wrong with this. It could it be that this sin of presumption has been normalized to us and therefore this doesn't seem like it's too big of a deal, right? But, but when you get to verse 16, what does he say? Verse 16 says, listen, as it is, 
That which we, what we just read in verse 13, as it is, you're boasting in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. You hear how serious he is about presumption? Let's try to look at verse 13 a little more carefully. I'm just going to take it phrase by phrase and say a few things. So verse 13, come now you say, here it is, today or tomorrow. That's presuming to be in control of when you do things. You are not in control of when you do anything. We will go. Presuming to be in control of your own actions. You're not in control. It's pride to think you're in control of your actions. And when you do things, you're not in ultimate control. It says, into such and such a town. Presuming to be in control of your destination and where you're going to be at this time, tomorrow, or the next day, or a year from now. You're presuming to be in control of these things. You're not. None of it. Again, it says, and spend a year there. Presuming to be in control of the duration of your time and your actions. You're not in control, last phrase, and trade and make a profit. You're presuming to be in control of your success. It's pride. It's boasting. It's arrogance, as it says here. Now, if verse 13, if you just say, I just can't get you here. I can't get you the presumption. You say, man, this just doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal. Please beware. Beware of sin being normalized in your life. This is, this is projecting a disposition, a heart that says, you know what? I sit on the throne of the universe, not God. I put up myself as the king. I decide when, where, how, what we do, actions we take, the results. I decide it all. It's in my control. You set yourself on the throne of the universe and not God. This is simple. It's evil. It says in verse 16. Now, is this saying, is this an attack on planning ahead? Is this, it's evil to plan ahead. No. Not that. Scripture says that, you know, wise man foresees evil and hides himself, right? So it's not evil to plan ahead. It's not saying that it's evil to make a profit or, or it's even evil to resolve. I mean, I'm literally telling you to resolve to do some things in 2020. Is it evil to do these things? No, this, that's not the point. The point is this. The sovereign one is in control of all things, and he ought to be acknowledged in everything of his sovereign, perfect control. That he knows all things, he controls all things, we know nothing and control nothing. And that's got to be acknowledged. It's got to be made clear. Let me read a verse to you. You don't have to flip there, but Isaiah chapter 30. This is a disposition of heart that's being rebuked. And we need to be warned about Isaiah 30, verse 1. Ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan, but not mine, and who make an alliance, but not of my spirit, verse 2, who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction, as if you're in control and God is not. Isaiah 31, another verse that shows us the same disposition of heart. 31 verse 1. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust 
in chariots because they're many and in horsemen because they're very, very strong. But do not look, do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. These are dispositions that should be repented of. We should, we should remember that really well-known verse, Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Don't lean on your own understanding. And here's the, verse that, the next verse that typically is not memorized. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. To not do that is to get the rebuke of James 4. Today or tomorrow, go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, make a profit. Don't you know that you don't know what tomorrow brings? What's your life? It's a vapor that appears for a short time and vanishes. You're boasting in your arrogance. Third resolution. Brothers and sisters, let's resolve to kill the proudful presumption of knowledge and time. Again, we're getting more specific here. This resolve to kill the prideful presumption of knowledge and time. Here's what I mean. The presumption of knowledge, we see it in verse 13, but it's rebuked in verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. You think you know, but it's the presumption of knowledge. You think you know, but listen, this is the rebuke. But you do not know. You don't know. What tomorrow will bring. Let's just think about that for a minute. Brothers and sisters, you don't know. I don't know what tomorrow will bring. Let's think about that. Anything unexpected happened for you in 2019? Anything that you didn't know was coming? Listen, you don't know what's coming in 2020. You don't know what the next year brings. And, and we need to mold our lives and live in light of that, that we don't know what's coming. God knows everything that's coming. You don't know not only the next year, but you don't even know tomorrow. You don't even know the next second, but God knows everything. And we need to live in light of that, a constant acknowledging of his omniscience and us not knowing, a constant acknowledgement and leaning against him, trusting him alone, not in ourselves. What about the presumption of time? Not just knowledge, but I said the presumption of time. Again, that's seen in verse 13. He thinks he knows his time. He thinks he's got plenty of time. But we see that corrected. Again, it's here in verse 14. We see it corrected. How does he correct him? He says, what is your life? Don't presume upon time. Listen, what is your life? It's a mist. Your life, you are a mist. It appears for a little time. Gone. Just a little time. And then, it, and then it just vanishes. It says your life is a mist. Your life is a vapor. Your life is short-lived. It's, it's not long. We've got to live in light of this, this verse that our life is short. Our life is a mist. We've got to live in light of that. That should affect what we do and how we spend ourselves, it ought to affect us that our life is a mist that appears for a short time, but it's so hard, isn't it? It's so difficult because so often we don't feel that. It feels like we got plenty of time. It's difficult to do that because it feels like we've got 
plenty of time. One thing that can help us with that is to learn from looking back. We need to learn from looking back, okay? Listen to me. There's a little saying that says the future always looks longer than the past. You ever heard that? The future always looks longer than the past. Remember 2019 at the very beginning? And you sat, maybe you're feeling a similar way to what you're feeling now, and you're getting ready for 2019 to begin. And man, you got a whole year. It seemed like a whole year, a whole long time is ahead of you looking forward. But now here you stand and it's over. And how quick did it go by? It's like a flash. It's a mist. It's a moment. It just flies by. Learn from the past. Nobody, not, I don't think it has ever happened that someone's been on their deathbed and they say something like, wow, that took a lot longer than I thought. It doesn't work that way. They're on their deathbed and, and the testimony of all of humanity when they're about to breathe their last breath is, it's like a vapor. It was just so short and then it's gone just like that. Brothers and sisters, don't be foolish. Don't be deceived by the long look of looking forward. Listen to those that have been on the deathbed. Listen to those that have breathed their last breath in their final moments that you will be there too. And in a moment you're thinking, just all ran by me. So fast, so quick. Life is short. We need to wake up to this reality and live in light of it. Life is a mist, it says here in verse 14. It's like, just imagine a spray from a spray bottle. You see it for a minute, it's gone. Imagine your breath on a cold morning. There it is, you see it for a moment, then it's gone. You can't even grab onto it. You can't build anything on it. It's just gone. It's like a puff of smoke. You see it for a second, and it's gone. That's our life. Now, I really wish, I don't have the power to do this, I can pray. But I don't have the power to make every single person in the room feel the reality of that right now. I wish I did. I wish I had that power just to get everyone in this moment to just feel the reality of you don't have long. It'll change your life. It'll change your decisions, your actions, the way you plan. Everything will change when you realize you, you have a short life that's here for a moment and then it's gone might even cause you to resolve or, or make resolutions like Jonathan Edwards. Listen to this resolution from Jonathan Edwards. Resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Never to do anything that I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Fourth resolution. Brothers and sisters, resolve to kill Prideful presumption in speech. Resolve to kill prideful presumption in our speech. Okay? Now, does our speech really matter? Does it really matter what we say? I mean, it's the heart that matters, right? It's this disposition, this, this disposition of the heart. It doesn't matter what you say, right? Wrong. What does it say here in verse 13? It says, come now, you who say. They're saying something. Come now, you who say this. And then verse 15, it says, instead you ought to say, 
Speech matters. What you say matters. Come now, you who say this, verse 13. Instead, you ought to say, verse 15, if the Lord wills, we'll live and do this or that. Your speech matters. What you say matters. And what he, what he injects into this language, verse 13, he injects, in, in, injects into it this phrase, if the Lord wills. If the Lord wills. It's an acknowledgement of the sovereignty of God. If God wills, if the Lord wills, it's an acknowledgement of the om omniscience of God. If the Lord, if the one that knows everything wills, of the omnipotence of God, if He wills, then I'll live or do this or that. It even says live. Did you see that? If the Lord wills, then I will live. <laughs> then my, my heart will just stop if He does if he doesn't will it to continue to beat, then, then my body will cease to function. My brain will break down. Everything will go to nothing. I won't even have life if he removes it in a moment. If God wills, I'll live in the next moment, tomorrow, the next day, the next few years. If God wills, I will be alive. If he wills, I'll do, it says. My actions are dependent on God's will. Brothers and sisters, we ought to acknowledge our sovereign God in our hearts and in our speech. Now, is the ultimate concern in this passage, is the ultimate concern uh, how we talk? Is it just ultimately that's what he's concerned about, the way we talk? And the answer is no. It's not just how we talk. It's this disposition of heart is what he's ultimately going. The ultimate concern of this passage is this disposition of heart that leans against, acknowledges, trusts God and not ourselves. Okay? That's the ultimate concern. But did Jesus not say this? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, if your heart is overflowing, with the frailty of man. And your heart is overflowing with the sovereignty and omniscience of God. Won't it just spill out here and there words that acknowledge and glorify Him for that? Such as, if God wills. In Acts chapter 18, you don't have to flip there again, but verse 21, we see Paul the Apostle and his heart's overflowing with the frailty of man and overflowing with the sovereignty of God. And he says things like this in verse 21, 18, 21. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. I will return to you if God wills. Psalm 141, verse 3 says, set a guard. It's a prayer. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord, and keep watch over the door of my lips. You hear that? You ever prayed that to God? God, set a guard over my mouth, keep watch over the door of my lips, God. That's not just a prayer to say, God, keep us from cussing. Okay? It's not, it's not, it's not the prayer. This is, Lord, we're your people. 
And we're, we're frail. We know nothing. And you're omniscient. And you know everything. God, help us to speak in such a way. Let the words come out of the door of our mouths. Be such as that glorifies and exalts who you are. God, help us to speak more like verse 15 in James 4. And less like verse 13 in James 4. God, help us to kill prideful presumption in our speech. And lastly... Number five, resolve to kill prideful and presumptuous sins of omission. Brothers and sisters, let's resolve together to kill prideful and presumptuous sins of omission. And that brings us to verse 17, sins of omission. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. Now, do you know this distinction of um, sins of commission and sins of omission? You know this distinction, sins of commission, sins of omission. Maybe I can quickly give you sort of the, the, the Pearl, Mississippi version of that. Sins of commission would be God says no, but you go. The sins of omission would be God says go, but you say no. Guess that? The commission, God says no, he draws a boundary. You cross the boundary, he says no, you do it anyways. You committed this sin. Sins of omission, God says go. God gives us things to do and works and actions, but you ignore it. You neglect it. You omit it. Sins of omission, verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do, but omits it, fails to do it, for him, he says, he's making it clear, this is sin. Now, this is a reminder to, to all of us that the Christian life is not, it's not just a list of don'ts. You know, don't do this, don't do this, don't, you know, as Christians, we don't do this, that, and the other thing. The Christian life is more than that. It's not just us sitting off in a corner saying, somewhere saying, God, thank you that we're not like those people. It's not the Christian life. The Christian life, it has things that God calls us to do and things that God calls us to, to go into, to move, to uh, action, works to do, okay? It's what it says here. To whoever knows the right thing to do, Whoever knows the right thing to do, now that fits with the rest of James. Remember, James 1.22 says, be doers of the word, not hearers only. Deceiving yourself. Doers of the word, not hearers only. Deceiving yourself. Uh, James 1.25, same, same letter. James 1.25, it describes this person that looks intently into the perfect law of liberty. He's not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of what he sees there. A doer. James 1.27, it says pure and undefiled religion. And it mentions two things. Not only is it to remain unstained from the world, that's a part of it, but also it's this action of to meet the needs of the poor and needy and orphans and widows. James chapter 2 is speaking about faith being without works and how that means it's dead. Faith without works is dead. It has no works. It produces no works. It's no real faith. And so this fits along the lines of what James is pushing toward. That to the person who knows what's right to do, 
but fails to do it, to him, this is sin. Now, how is verse 17, this verse warning about the sins of omission, how is it connected to verse 13 through 16? What's the connection here? On the one hand, I want you to see this. It's the full description. Here's the description of what's being rebuked in this passage of Scripture, okay? Here's the full description. Somebody that just, they don't realize their life is a vapor. They're just living like they got all the time in the world. They're living like they're in control. God is just sent out of the picture. Lord willing, God willing, what does that mean? I'm going to do what I want to do. And in the midst of them doing that, they know, verse 17, they know some things that are right to do, and yet they neglect it. Their plan, not God's. Their idea, not God's. Their life, not God's. So that's the full description of what's being rebuked here. Now, I, I want to make another important connection that I think is helpful, and it's this. When people do verse 17, they know what's right in God's word, and yet neglect it. They know what's right and yet omit it. Let it pass them by. They, they, they don't do it. They know what's right, but they don't do it. When, when people do that, when we do that, what is often the reason that's given? What's the reasoning? If you ask them, what's the reasoning? And oftentimes the reasoning sounds something like this. You know, I just can't do it in this season of my life. Yes, I'm going to do that later. Not now, but later. Or... You know, whenever this thing, whatever that thing is, whenever this particular thing happens, then I will be faithful in that. When this thing happens, then I'll be faithful over there. Not this season, but maybe the next season. Do you see the connection there? That, that when our hearts know what's right and don't do it, it's typically connected to this verse 13 heart. That we think we have time. We don't see our life as a vapor. We think we're in control. So we're not pursuing faithfulness in every season of life. Ups, down, hard, easy, every season, faithful to God. And so what I want to do for 2020, I want to call Grace Community Church to kill sins of omission and be faithful in every season of life. Every season of life. I encourage you, get alone by yourself. Maybe you can take, I can mention four things to you really quick. You just... Get at home by yourself. Things that you know are right. Things you know that God calls you to do and walk in. You can just take it home and spend time reflecting and resolving over these things. Okay? So I'll just give you four. One, your devotion to the Word of God. You know it's right. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture breathed out by God, thoroughly equips the man of God for every good work. What about your devotion? To the word of God. To neglect it. To admit that verse. Is pride. You don't think you need the nourishment of God's word. Of course you do. Be devoted to the word of God. Go home and reflect on 2019. And resolve for 2020. What about number two. Prayer. Prayer. Romans 12 tells us to be given to prayer. Given over to prayer. So. So. Go home and reflect 2019 in my prayer life. Resolve towards 2020 because what's at the root of prayerlessness? Pride. I think I've got it. I don't need him. I got it on my own. Prayerlessness is pride. Number three, your devotion to the church, your devotion to the body of Christ. Acts, Acts 2.42 
It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to the prayers together. They devoted themselves to these things, devoted to the church. Go back, reflect on 2019, your devotion to the church and resolve towards 2020. To neglect this, to omit this, is sin. It's the sin of pride. You think you're fine. The, the scripture mentions the body of Christ is a great help to you in your walk with God. You say, no, I'm fine. I got it on my own. It's pride. And the last one I'd mention would be just your devotion to the mission of God. Your devotion to the mission of God. Matthew 28, 19 says, go therefore, make disciples of all the nations. Go therefore, make brothers and sisters. Make disciples. Go home. Get alone. Reflect on 2019. Resolve towards 2020 knowing that it's going to fly by like a snap. Make disciples. Now let me close. And I'll put those resolutions before you. But let me close uh, just with a moment to I, I want to help anyone here who's lost today. If you're here and you're not in Christ, you know, we were talking earlier about the power of the gospel uh, over the penalty and the power of sin. If, if you're here today and you're in Christ Jesus, you're saved from the wrath to come. The penalty of sin has been broken. You're saved from the power of sin. Sin no longer has dominion over you. So these things land on you with hope because you, you, can, you can go after killing these things in your life because Christ has finished the work. Speaking to you earlier, but if there's anyone here that doesn't fit under that, you that are lost, <coughs> I, I want to warn you about feeling no urgency. So to the lost soul here today, you don't have Christ. Maybe you made out your resolution, say, man, these re my these re resolutions sound a lot like what's being rebuked here. My resolutions are godless. What I want for the future just seems to be absent of Christ. Maybe that's you and you're lost and you're not in Christ. You don't know Jesus and you're headed for eternity in hell. I want you to feel the urgency of this. Okay? Is this you? Come now. You, you, you who say, you know what? Today or tomorrow, go going to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy, sell, make a profit. You're just going about your business. It's really the most important thing to you is your business. You're so busy there that you can't even think about your eternal soul just going about your business. You don't believe it. You don't feel that, that your life is a vapor, but I want you to. Your life is short. It's going to fly by. Listen to the urgency of Jesus' words in Mark 1. 14. He says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Do you hear the urgency there? That you might not have this afternoon. You might not have tomorrow. You may not have next week. That, that doesn't belong to you. You don't get to decide how long you stay on this earth. And in a moment, you could be standing before the judgment seat of God, condemned to hell forever. I'm pleading with you. Feel the urgency of that. Don't be like this one in John chapter, uh, James chapter 4. Don't be this one. Proverbs 29 verse 1, it says, He who is often rebuked but hardens his heart will suddenly be destroyed beyond remedy. 
You catch what that verse means? That maybe you heard the gospel. And then you heard it again. And then you heard it when you were younger. And you heard it recently. And, and you even had moments where you felt some sort of tug to follow Christ. Or some sort of conviction of sin. But you blocked it off. You know, you got business to do. And so you blocked it off. Just go about your business. Make a profit. Buy and sell. Do what you do. Go in about your business. You ignored it. And Proverbs 29 says this. You better be warned about that. Because the one who is often rebuked, the one that hears this over and over again, but hardens his heart, one day he's going to be to a place where he is beyond remedy. You're not promised that your heart will be soft enough. To be broken before Christ and bow down to him tomorrow. Your heart may be hardened. Don't ignore this call. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. What's your life? You living for this life? What's your life? It's a mist. Appears for a little time and it vanishes. What's next? Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words. God, I do pray that, uh, that you would free us, God, and, call, and help us to kill these sins of pride and presumption, not acknowledging you as the sovereign, glorious, omniscient one. God, help us to live lives that every, every nook and cranny of the life just exalts you and acknowledges who you are. God, help us to daily deny ourselves, take up the cross, and follow you. Lord, help us to feel that reality. That life flies by so quickly. God, help us to live accordingly. Lord, you said in your word that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, works towards us who believe. So God, we call out for that, that resurrection power. Same power that rose our Savior, God. We call on that, God, that you would let that power be in our lives to kill pride. Humble us, God. Make us a humble and lowly and broken people with full confidence in our glorious Savior. Lord, I pray for any lost soul here today you would save them. God, I pray for anyone here today that's caught in the chains of false conversion. That they think that they're saved, but they're not, God. That they're caught in this trap. God, I pray, Lord, that you would loosen the chains. You'd break them, Lord. You'd free them from deception and save their souls. Thank you, Lord, for your help. In Jesus' name, amen.